You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Up to date wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. Academics have been actively discussing the potential impact of ChatGPT on education and society as a whole. Some researchers are optimistic about the technology's potential to enhance learning and teaching, particularly in terms of providing personalized feedback and support to students. Others are more cautious, expressing concerns about the potential for ChatGPT to exacerbate existing educational inequalities and facilitate academic dishonesty. Well, Believe it or not, UpToDate asked ChatGPT to write that introduction for us about how artificial intelligence is affecting the way teachers teach and students learn. Well, joining us now to talk about ChatGPT and education are two UMKC professors. They are Dr. Antonio Bird. He's an assistant professor of English. Dr. Bird, professor, nice to have you here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Brian Hare is an assistant teaching professor of computer science. Brian, good morning to you. Well, Professor Hare, can you tell our listeners just what ChatGPT is? In a nutshell, it's an extremely sophisticated statistical model of language. Basically, Mm. given the text that's come before, what's the most likely next word? If I say Jack B. Nimble, Jack B. fill in the blank, it's not hard to to estimate in that case. Uh, And it basically is just, okay, what's the next, uh, what's the next likely few words again? Now, now what's the next likely few words? Now, what are the most likely next words? Um, Rolling the dice again and again and again. Um, but it'll also write an introduction like the one I just read. Oh, yes, yes. Given given a, a subject, a lot of times the first paragraph is kind of a recap of the prompt it got, and then it just starts, okay, given that, what should I follow it with? And the fact that it's just estimating what the next word is, it can produce several paragraphs of text. It's not good at producing longer texts, and it can veer off from facts to very confidently stated bunk just as easily, um, which is one of the things that uh, has come up with uh, again and again. I was going to say, what can it do and what can't it do? It's very good at things like producing a first draft, a general summary, um, particularly of introductory material, of explaining follow-up questions reasonably well. Uh, The more in-depth you try to get with it, the more likely that errors are going to creep in. Um, It can generate computer code for some basic and some not-so-basic problems. Uh, It's already finding some use in software development as a way of developing a first draft quickly. Right. It's not good at fact-checking, um, and I've been told by some people who try to use it for writing and so forth that it does not do humor at all. It does not understand irony. So it sounds like this is a fairly early iteration of what 
it might become someday, and someday it might be a whole lot better than it is now. Actually, we were talking about that a little bit earlier before the interview, is that, yes, this is this is the first generation. This is the World Wide Web in 1996. Right. You know, um, so what's it going to be like 10, 20 years down the road? A lot more uh, powerful, pro- hopefully a lot more reliable, but as far as the details, your guess is frankly as good as mine. But be forewarned, your point is here, Brian, that it makes a lot of mistakes. Yes. Now, it's getting better. Um, I asked it some questions, just uh, like a summary of Apollo 18 and so forth a couple of weeks ago. There were several errors in the answer. I asked hmm. it again, the same question last week, and it didn't have so many errors. So hmm. they're working on improving it as we go. So – We'll see what happens. It does seem to be improving with time. Well, Professor Bird, you've used Chat GPT in your classes before, and I'm wondering what have you done with it, and what that's what has that experience been like for you? Uh, yeah, so I um, I used a different version of Chat GPT all the way back in fall of 2021 for one of my writing classes, and when uh, the version of that was called GPT three Playground, uh, and I was actually really excited when I discovered. Uh, this type of technology. I was going to say, you were way out ahead of the way yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had my students use it to try an experiment where they wrote an essay, a full draft earlier in the semester, and then at the end, uh, use it to try to revise portions of that essay. Um, and it was a great way to have a conversation about plagiarism, what is copyright law, what is authorship. Um, we used it just for a couple of weeks, but students, on one hand, they saw how the technology could be really useful, but I think they were also more interested in writing the essay themselves because oh, really? it wasn't always uh, super useful getting content from them. What That's else do students say about this this exercise, this experience they had with this early version of ChatGPT? Yeah, they were really interested in, in thinking about what this means for plagiarism. Um, and for cheating. And uh, their main thought was, like, I think this is something that that we shouldn't really use uh, just to write essays on their own, but maybe it could be used for other things that could be very helpful, like brainstorming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my sister uh, runs a a business. She's an Episcopal priest, and she runs this business uh, that sort of focuses on helping pastors across the country write sermons each week. And what she says is, hey, this is a great tool to sort of uh, you print out something about a potential sermon topic for the next week. It's a great first draft. And it gives, it helps that get you through that idea of a blank screen, that intimidating feeling of not knowing how to start something. Well, it gives you, gets you off to a flying start in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. It, it solves the blank page problem, yeah. right? Um, I know that for some uh, folks working uh, professionally, they find it useful. So for people who are in marketing or real estate, uh, ChatGPT is really good for creating this generic text that's not really interesting. But it helps them get started in their own writing, and then they can revise, yeah. um, add different dip- types of ideas in order to flesh out that language. Well, you're an English professor at UMKC, and so you're at ground zero in this national concern we're hearing so much about right now among educators about chat GPT encouraging cheating, encouraging plagiarism. How valid a concern is that? How concerned are you about that? On one hand, I think it is a valid concern. 
Um, I know uh, in my own circles, there have already been stories about um, really A students using chat GPT in order to write their essays. And because they're not very good with the content, uh, they kind of raise a red flag for the teacher and they put them through uh, a piece of software that can detect AI text. And then they come back to the student and say, hey, this looks like you didn't write this at all. What's going on here? Um, But at the same time, uh, it is also exciting because it kind of changes the way that we could assign assignments to students, or um, it could be another tool that could help students with their writing and research. So there's- What do you mean by that? uh, Yeah. So when it uh, comes to using it, um, ChatGPT would be very good for brainstorming ideas. Um, A student that I had a conference with just a a couple of weeks ago, uh, she's been trying to come up with a research study for our class. Um, And she just could not really think through what she wanted to focus on. But she had a conversation with ChatGPT about what are some uh, some some things I can pursue related to LGBTQ students and their writing. And ChatGPT gave a list of potential ideas. No kidding. And she was just really excited. Now, granted, she, we had a conversation. So that way we can provide more focus. So you still need another human being uh, to, to provide some focus in a way that ChatGPT could not. But she was really excited uh, as a starting point for doing her research. Well, Brian, you need another human being now to help round out ideas. But a few minutes ago, are you suggesting that maybe 5, 10, 20 years down the road, ChatGPT is going to be refined and improved and we're going to be in a whole different playground, if you will, when that happens. Well, my crystal ball doesn't necessarily work any better than anybody else's. <laughs> well, but, sure it does. Uh, you work in this, you work in right. this field. Yeah. Um, but um, it is possible. I mean, th- this these sorts of large language models train on the internet, basically, which raises some questions on its own. But, you know, if I'm looking for writing ideas for LGBT students or something like that, there are resources out there on the internet and so when I start asking about it, it looks for texts it's had discussing those things and starts giving me some of those suggestions and some of those topics. Um, I've fed it some test questions and so forth uh, just to kind of see what sort of response I get. Sometimes there's some small errors in it, but a lot of the answers are pretty good. There's a computer science education conference I'm going to next week. They've got a workshop on using these tools for generating review materials, um, particularly for introductory level courses where there's a lot of stuff on the internet, a lot of its answers are fairly good. Yeah. We'll be back in just a minute. So there's this question at schools and universities across the country, and you just sort of touched on it, Brian. Do you embrace this technology or do you try to prohibit it in some way? Where do you see schools and universities going at this point, and where are they all over the place? Urging our students not to use these tools because we don't like them is not a viable strategy. Our students are going to be graduating into a world where these tools are being used and are sometimes being misused, and we have to prepare them for that. Um, In the late late 90s, there were people saying that the World Wide Web was going to make universities as institutions obsolete. Well, now that was an overestimate, obviously. But there was the same Thank sort goodness. of moral panic yeah. about cheating and plagiarism and everything else, and we figured out how to use the, you know, how to use the tools, what they were good at, what they weren't good at, what accommodations we had to make. Yeah. And now 
we could not teach the way we do without the World Wide Web. We have to figure out a way to use these tools. And frankly, I'm not laying awake at night worried about that. Give us a semester or two. We'll figure something out. Uh, This is is a new communications technology. We may have to make some adjustments. Certain tasks just became more routine, but the sky is not falling. Well, Antonio, you were nodding as uh, as uh, Brian was talking there about his approach here. But some schools, I should point out, are taking a lot harder line on this than what Brian just suggested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, a story that I heard about in New York public schools trying to ban its use, at least on their campuses. Um, I do think that uh, a really good strategy is actually to use this technology with students to experiment with it. Um, learn what it can do very well. What it because of Brian's well. point, the technology is coming. It's going to be in the world these these kids inha- inhabit someday. Pretty right, soon. Yeah. right, exactly. Just like that example that I was giving before about professionals, you know, purporting that we've been using this to help us write. There could be an expectation later on that uh, having some type of expertise or skill using this type of technology will be useful on the job. Hey, how much of an how much better is ChatGPT right? now, based on your experience, Antonio, than what students can simply find by going to Google and searching around? Is it is it that much different? Yeah, I would say that it is, especially compared to when I used a different version, GPT-3. And now the conversations that you have with it, it, it's very convincing. It feels like it really knows exactly what it's talking about. It feels certain with its information even with the information is actually really wrong. Um, and so that is the the difference. It's like it's a search engine, but it's a conversation with a search engine, but with some errors. Brian, what's your sense of that? How much better is chat GPT than just what you can find by Googling around a little bit? Uh, probably a little bit better. It, it certainly presents itself in a format that a lot of users are going to find easier to use. Now, of course, the companies are doing this to keep keep you engaged with their websites. Uh, but the the interface and the way it presents it in a conversational style, I think it's going to be a lot easier for some users to, to use. Yeah. You know, um, the New York Times uh, wrote about this program called, uh, called GPT-0, uh, Brian, and that promises uh, that thousands of teachers have signed up for. The program promises to quickly detect AI-generated text, meaning artificial intelligence-generated text, how well does it work? Do you know? Fairly well. It's something of an arms race. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've looked at some of the same things in terms of AI-generated computer code, and it's it's fairly good at detecting it. Uh, as the generators get better, the detectors are going to have to get better as well. It's, it's the same sort of cat-and-mouse game we've seen, you know, again and again. Yeah. You know, Antonio, one of your big concerns is this idea that, hey, if you don't have a computer, you're going to be falling even farther behind now in this wake of this new revolution involving chat GPT. Um, What concerns do you have uh, along those lines? Uh, One of my biggest concerns, uh, part of it is that the open AI does have to make money off of this. And there's already a version of chat GPT that is actually better than the free version. You can pay $20 a month. Uh, it, it works faster. Ah. Uh, you can also, um, it's guaranteed to give you access to it. So right now, if there are a lot of people using the free version, 
you may get a, a web page that says, hey, chat GPT is not available right now because there's you know, too many people using it. So uh, you're going to have to come back later. But the, the other version, the $20 version, guarantees that you'll always have access to it when you use it. So and maybe, the concern there is what then? If, if people who can afford it get a leg up. Right. People who can afford it get a leg up over other folks who may not afford that. So it, it could be later on down the road where that, that cost goes up, but it's economic issues there. We're also hearing, uh, Brian, concerns about surveillance and bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we talking about on that front? Well, if I go to a search engine that has this enabled, they don't send me to somebody else's website to get my question answered. They answer it right there. So they get the ad revenue. They know what uh, questions I ask. They know what follow-up questions I ask. And so they can profile me ever more precisely. Um, this is about keeping me engaged with, with you know, their website as much as possible. Microsoft, Google, Meta, you know, Facebook, all of these are pretty much – they would like you to hit their website and never, ever leave so that they get the data from selling advertising and so forth. And the concern there is what exactly? Um, well – if I know what you're doing on the internet, I can build up a very detailed personal profile, including th- information about you that you did not necessarily want me to know, mm-hmm. but I can readily deduce. Mm-hmm. And then once I have that information, what can I do with it? Who can I sell it to? Or how can I sell access to you? Um, I mean, yeah, the the whole question about surveillance as a business model is, is very much an issue. Um, you know, Google with the Nest thermostat has said that ideally they would like granular enough data that they know what room of your house you're in. Yeah. Professor Bird, what about this other concern about bias here? How well does the technology understand and work with different dialects? Does it understand black English, if you will? What are are we going there? Yeah, exactly. So uh, at the moment, ChatGPT can um, give you text in other languages. And over time, it will probably get better at being able to do that. Um, the concern there is what language is actually trained on. Um, and so right now it's trained on language from the internet and probably the majority of it has been written by white men. And so that is probably its default language that it's going to go to when it's actually giving you any kind of its text. But again, um, you see that improving with time, perhaps, you hope? Yeah, I would definitely hope so. Um, but the biases is there that it's prioritizing English often spoken, say, from white people as opposed to being trained on the languages or other types yeah. of Englishes that people have. You know, Professor, here you said that you believe we're overestimating the short term impacts of the technology and overlooking the long term. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, in the late 90s, again, we were all in a panic because the World Wide Web was going to put universities out of business. Nobody was talking about companies tracking their users around the internet and building up data profiles on them and having surveillance as a basic business model. The question of what we're going to do in the classroom with this in the short term, we'll figure something out. The question I wonder about is what's going to be the really cool application that seems really fantastic, everybody adopts immediately because it's so great. And we don't realize until after everybody's using it that, wait a minute, this has got some downsides. Hmm. You know, this has got- We're moving too fast here, maybe. Yeah. And technology moves fast. Regulation moves slow. And getting it right is always going to be a challenge. Um, You know, by the time we figure out what the technology can do and maybe what the rules of the road ought to be, the technology is shifting already. 
it's a brand new world, isn't it? Still is. Yeah. yeah. I want to thank our guests here, both from UMKC. Just heard the voice of Brian here, an assistant teaching professor of computer science. Dr. Antonio Bird also joined us. He's an assistant professor of English. Gentlemen, thank you both very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.